Good morning. Um, and our reading is from Luke's Gospel. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> the reading this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 25. So Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many to the people, many of the people of Israel, to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor 
and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Liz, very much. Good morning, everybody. Uh, thank you, Eleanor, for teeing this up so well about we're going to look at Luke's gospel. Uh, it is a wonderful thing. I was just thinking as you were sharing how good it is to have this in our own language. Uh, for our friends here for whom English is not a first language, if you don't have a copy of Luke's gospel in your own language uh, and you can't afford one, we'll buy one for you. Just let us know. We'd love everybody to read this in their own language. So please let us know. Uh, I know there are wonderful things you can get on, on the phones and tablets with all the transfer, but having something that you can actually hold, uh, if you can't, haven't got one in your own language and if it exists, let us know. We'll buy it for you. Now let's pray. How we praise you, Lord God, our Father, that you have spoken. You haven't left us to guess what you are like. You've spoken supremely through Jesus. And you've spoken through the scriptures which point to him. We pray as we read through Luke's gospel in the coming weeks, and especially today, send your Holy Spirit and speak to each one of us afresh and give us grace to trust you more. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been thinking about our purpose and vision. We've described our purpose uh, along with the words in the bricks over my head, following Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and in following Jesus, we want to get better at following him as a church and as individuals and walking closely with him. Uh, so we've decided we are going to, for the next four terms, uh, look at Luke's gospel. We could have picked any gospel, but we picked Luke. Uh, we're starting it now, so we get to angels and shepherds at Christmas. And with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting for a child fits kind of with the Advent theme of waiting for the Lord's return. So that's where the sermon's going this morning, just to give you a heads up. Uh, it's going to take us four terms. We'll, have a, we'll dip out of it from time to time. Um, when we get to Easter, this coming Easter, we'll look at Easter from another gospel, and we'll get to the end of Luke at Easter 2024. And as we do that, we will be just ready to celebrate our 150th anniversary as a church. So as we gear up for the celebrations, we deliberately want to make sure it's Jesus we're following, the real Jesus. We're not going to miss any of the difficult bits out, although some of the passages we'll do in all age services, some in evening ones, different times of year. There's obviously more than can be said in one set of sermons. But they will all be there. They'll be on the website for you. Uh, and there'll often be different sermons morning and evening. Uh, and you'll be able to access those. So we go through the whole of Luke. Uh, tonight we're not doing Luke. We're having a service of light from darkness to light for Advent Sunday. So we'll carry on with Luke next week with Mary. Uh, and the journals are there to encourage you, however you want, however you think. Just to, You might decide you want to listen to all the sermons, either in person or online. Uh, however you want to do that, to really engage with Jesus. And I want to encourage you to pray, Lord, I want to follow you as I read through this account of who you are. Help me to follow you better. So Luke is written to someone called Theophilus. Let's look at these first four verses again. Uh, Luke writes, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... Luke was a doctor. 
He was a Gentile doctor. He was an educated, orderly man with a tidy mind, and he's really investigated and talked to all the eyewitnesses and then written it down. He says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, <coughs> so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Now, we don't know whether Theophilus was a real guy. The name means God-lover, Theo, as in theology. Phyllis means love, like Philadelphia, love of the brothers, or Philippa, love of horses, that sort of thing. Theophilus, God-lover. So there could have been a real person called Theophilus, or Luke might have been writing it generally to anybody who's a lover of God who wants to find out more about these things. So whoever you are, you're a lover of God, you want to know him more, you are a Theophilus, and this is written for you and for me. And Luke is the first half of two volumes, Luke and Acts. You may remember how Acts starts, Acts 1, 1 and 2. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and teach, and Acts obviously is what Jesus continues to do by his Spirit after the ascension. So Luke is writing this two-volume uh, account of Jesus and the early church. He's researched it orderly. We first meet Luke in Acts chapter 16, uh, where he's writing Acts, and all along it's they did this, they did this, they did this. And then suddenly, as Paul crosses over to Philippi, Luke starts writing we. We were there. And wherever you get a we passage in Acts, Luke's saying, I was there. So there's a church in Philippi. Paul gets into trouble and gets sent off, and Luke says they went. So he stayed behind in Philippi. Uh, Paul travels around quite a lot and eventually comes back through Macedonia and Philippi, and Luke starts saying, we, again. And in chapter 20 of Acts, he says, we sailed off, and they wind up in Israel, where Paul is in prison for over two years. And when they sail for Rome, Luke says, we. So for those two or three years, Luke is in Israel, and he said he's researched everything carefully. That's probably about 25 years after the resurrection. He's meeting eyewitnesses who remember Jesus, who tell the story. He tells Mary's story of Christmas. Presumably he's talked with Mary, and she's told him about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Presumably he's met the centurion's servant whose son was healed, that we meet in chapter 7. Presumably he met Zacchaeus down in Jericho who told him about this day when Jesus walked through. And Luke has researched it all really carefully. When I was at my theological college, my vicar factory, uh, nearly 40 years ago, there were some archaeological discoveries turning up in places of the Roman Empire which showed that Luke had got it absolutely right. In Acts, he talks about a procurator here and a governor there and a proconsul there, and, and people weren't sure whether he was making it up. But then they just found these discoveries that show in every case where there's been a discovery, it shows that Luke's got his detail right. And we can be sure he's researched it and he wants us to know what really happened that we can rely on. This is down from the eyewitnesses. Uh, and not only is he telling us about what happened, so it's a good story, he's telling us so we know, so we've got something secure for our faith to be on. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It's based on historical facts. Jesus really was born. He really did teach these things. He really did get a group of disciples. He really did heal people. He really did die on the cross. He really did rise again. And people met him and saw him. And Luke wants you to know the certainty of these things. Uh, so I've got three points 
Two of them are quite brief, and then one of them's a bit longer. That's where we're going. So if you think I'm rattling through my points and it's going to be, going to be out early today, no. <laughs> first, first short point. What, and there are various big themes in Luke, and I'm just going to mention a couple of them today. We'll come up to other ones later. Luke, more than any other gospel writer, is concerned that everybody knows they matter to Jesus. Now, every gospel writer has this, but Luke has it more than anyone. Luke emphasizes Jesus' care for outcasts, for widows, for children, for Gentiles, for tax collectors, centurions. You get them in the other Gospels, but Luke seems to go out of his way to make the point that anyone who might have been an outcast was welcome to Jesus. Luke himself as a Gentile would have felt the difference in Jew and Gentile. He was included. Uh, here in the opening chapter, we'll come to Mary next week, but you get the story of Zechariah and you get the story of Mary. One male, one female. One old, one young. One respected, one very ordinary and about to be disgraced. And all are you, both are met by God, both are used by God in his purposes. It's like Luke saying, whoever you are, you matter. This is for you. Old or young, male or female, whatever you feel about yourself, whatever race you've come from, Jew or Gentile, this is for you. Uh, a second big theme is that Luke's not just telling the story, but he wants you to trust Jesus. This is written to increase your faith. That's the same as all the gospel writers. John makes that very explicit. Luke has it much more implicit by the way he describes how people react to Jesus. So here again in chapter 1, we have this contrast between Zechariah and Mary. Both of them get the angel Gabriel coming to tell them something. Both of them are afraid. Both of them, Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Both of them get told there will be a son. Both the sons, we're told, will be great. John the Baptist will be great. Jesus will be great. Uh, in due course, uh, both those sons are born. Both of them sing a song. Uh, we'll get Mary's song Sunday evening next week and Zechariah's song in two weeks' time. But there's one big difference. Uh, both of them ask questions. Zechariah's question is a question of lack of faith. And Mary's question is a question from faith. And it's like Luke is saying, there's two ways to react to the good news of Jesus. Are you going to trust? Or are you going to say, I'm not really sure about that. He's inviting us in. So let's look at Zechariah. We get chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. This is his reaction to the news. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? He's got the angel, archangel Gabriel standing right there. But even so, out of his guts, well, I don't know about that. I'm an old man. My wife's well along in years. And the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. He would have known. Gabriel was the one who appeared to Daniel. It's written in the book of Daniel. He would have known who Gabriel was. He would have known the stories of Abraham and Sarah. But I don't want to be too harsh on him. Um, I might well have reacted exactly the same way myself. I'm old. How's this going to happen? Gabriel says, I've been sent to tell you. Uh, so, you know, you'll be silent. You won't be able to speak until it happens. And so we find he's struck dumb. And uh, at the time, and we'll find this in two weeks' time, his mouth is released and he can speak. I love the fact that God is so gracious. He's picked Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
And even though Zechariah starts off with lack of faith, God brings him through. So if you're wired like Zechariah and you're a bit suspicious of all these things, you know, not sure about it, relax. God loves you just as much. He will bring you through. Hang in there. Ask your questions. Mary's reaction is very different. We'll look at her next week. But uh, her cousin Elizabeth said this about her. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise. For Mary, there's just this, okay? Would you like to tell me how? <laughs> I don't really understand it, but okay. And we'll be thinking about her next week. So that's the second thing. This is for everyone. This is for you. This isn't just for the person next to you or the person behind you or for your neighbor or for your relatives. This is for you, whoever you are. And the point is for you to know and ask your questions and get to the point where you trust Jesus. Uh, if that's you and you're beginning to explore this, we recommend our Alpha course. Just coming towards the end of this term's Alpha course. Next term, we'll have one on Tuesday evenings. There'll be details about that coming out soon. But you might want to keep your Tuesdays clear. Anyway, those are the two quick points. This is for everybody, including you. And the whole idea is that we come to trust. Luke wants us to know this is what really happened. And you can put your trust in Jesus. So here's the big theme. And this is why we've arranged it so that we're starting today as Zechariah and Elizabeth have spent their whole life waiting for a baby. And here we are on Advent Sunday when we're thinking about waiting for Jesus to come back again. And I just want to sort of hold those two themes together and read this story in the light of that. We're called to trust God and it's not easy when there's something deep going on within you that feels wrong. Where is God when it hurts? God, why did you not answer my prayers the way I wanted you to? This, is, this happens to all of us in very different ways. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are good people. Look at verses 5 to 7 at the start. At the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. There is no blame attached for them. There is no hint that there's anything wrong with their lives. They are amazing, godly old people who have kept trusting God all the way through, despite this huge, lifelong heartache of not having had children. Trusting Jesus is hard when they're living with these heartaches. And Zechariah found it hard when Gabriel told him the good news. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Now, lots of life involves waiting. Young children for the moment, are waiting for Christmas. Can't believe how long it is to Christmas. Oh, it's so far away. I wish it would come. Those of us a little bit older thinking, oh, help, it's nearly here. But it's, <laughs> as you grow up, you wait for the day you can leave school. Uh, you wait for, if you're applying to university, to hear where you're going or for a job interview. You wait for the time you can get a house. You, uh, if you're wanting to marry, you're waiting for a life partner. For some, that cry goes on and is unanswered. That's deeply painful for some. For others, that's fine. Uh, for those who are called to marriage, uh, many have children easily, but some don't. And that is a huge deep pain. It can the sort of guts, the womb that cries out. Elizabeth and Zechariah knew this. 
Juliet and I have spent time with lots of people down the years for whom this has been a deep agony, very hard to trust God when all of that is shouting so loudly. For others, the difficulties come later, endless sleepless nights with children. When will it stop? Uh, teenage years. Lord, help me to get through them uh, as a parent. Uh, we're learning that the parenting never stops. There are heartaches that carry on. Living with a relative who's very, very unwell over a long period of time. Being unwell over a long period of time. All of us have the, none of us walk exactly the same road as anybody else. For most of us, I'd pretty much say everybody I've ever met, at some stage in life there is heartache, there is struggle to trust God, there is God, why haven't you answered? And Zechariah and Elizabeth have this, and for them the issue is childlessness. Now there are no guarantees this side of eternity. We live in a world that is fallen, and not everything is right. There is no promise that any specific thing will go right to us until the Lord returns. Now, Jesus has broken. He brought healing. He brought joy. He brought life. He is good. But the promise is of forgiveness now and God's presence with us, whatever we're going through, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And that when Jesus returns, everything will be restored, renewed perfectly. Until that day, we live in this strange overlap with signs of God's kingdom where some are healed and others aren't, where some prayers get a yes and others get a no. And in Zechariah and Elizabeth's case, it was a wait, but the wait lasted, what, 40 years, 50 years? Felt like a no. And all of us will have our own uh, examples of this. Or if you haven't got any examples of this yet, uh, the odds are that you will. We live in a world where God is looking for us to trust him and where he's inviting us to seek him. He is the giver above the gift. Our danger is that we tend to seek the gift more than the giver. And ultimately, God wants to give to every one of us the very, very best thing, which is himself. He is the source of all love and joy and peace and contentment and it's only in relationship with him that those deep longings will be fulfilled. Augustine famously said, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. The person longing for a partner, when they find one, that partner will not solve all the problems. Juliet usually says, a husband is someone who will stand by you in all the problems you'd never have had if you remain single. <laughs> but that, that flippancy aside... No husband or wife can be God to you. And people who think this is going to answer all our problems actually wind up destroying each other. No child, however much longed for and whatever joy they bring, will fulfill all your deepest longings for life. Uh, some of them will create some different, <laughs> different tensions. Only God can do that. Now, he gives all these gifts for us to enjoy with him. Relationships, family, church family, children... Uh, also this beautiful world we're in. But what God most wants you and me to know is the joy and peace and love that comes in relationship with him that we can have for all eternity and nothing else will satisfy. Now at the time of Zechariah, the people of Israel 
uh, were holding on to the promises of the Old Testament. They knew that the world was not right as it was. They were overrun with the Romans. They were under occupation. They were not really free. Uh, there had been no word from the prophets for over 400 years. It's over 400 years since Malachi at the end of the Old Testament was written. It's been a sort of dark ages. The word of, the God, the word of God was rare. But they had all these great promises that one day a Messiah would come. One day David's king would come. And he would restore all things. And God would break in. And then all the hopes will be fulfilled. Then the heavens and the earth will be created. Then the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Then there will be no more sadness and no more tears. When Messiah comes. And they're looking forward to that day. And Zechariah and Elizabeth would have looked forward to it as much as anybody else. Just a couple of those promises. Before Messiah comes, there's also a forerunner who's going to come. So Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come. So the Messiah will come, but first there will be a messenger. Or Malachi 4, 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I'll come and strike the land with destruction. So there is a sense that when the Lord's day comes, it will be a day of delight for those who love him and a day of destruction for others. But before that day comes, the prophet Elijah will come back, a forerunner uh, in, the, in the style of Elijah. And now Gabriel tells Zechariah that Elizabeth will have a son who will be that forerunner. Look at verses 13 to 17. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. This lifelong prayer for a child. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Just as an aside, our children can carry the Holy Spirit just as well as any adult. There is not a junior-sized Holy Spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that John the Baptist had from the womb that we pray our children will be filled with from that all their days. Uh, John will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So all these Old Testament signals are going to come true. The Messiah will come, and the forerunner will come, and that forerunner will be Zechariah and Elizabeth's boy, John. Wonderful news. Zechariah, can't, he just blurts out, how on earth is that going to happen? <laughs> how do I know? And he's got some work to do on his faith. And we'll meet him again in two weeks' time as he's singing a song over God's delight and goodness. The problem for me and the problem for all of us is when whatever we are most wanting takes the place of God in our lives and gets in the way. We're made to know God and then to enjoy his gifts with him. But when we seek the giver, with the gifts rather than the giver, 
when our eyes go down and we get obsessed with how things are and we lose sight of God and we get cross with him, well, I'm not going to believe in you because you haven't answered my prayer for that. The only person who loses out is us. God wants us to know him. And he allows these things to happen for a season so we really seek him and to free us from idols. Now, I have two particular idols that get in the way of God for me. One is my family. It's a good thing, mostly. There are bits that aren't, but mostly it's pretty good. The other is the church. This is a wonderful church family. And when I lose my focus, I start putting too much into the family and the church who cannot do for me what only God can do. And then when they don't, I get cross with the family or cross with the church. They're idols. God has to be first. And then our family and church and whatever else. Nothing else can actually fulfill the deepest longings of our heart than the Lord himself. And God seems to allow all these things that happen, or he promises that in all these things that happen, for those who love him, do you know Romans 8, 28, we know in all these things, and Paul's been talking about a whole load of terrible things in Romans 8, suffering and, and death, in all these awful things, God works for the good of those who love him. And he goes on to say the good is being more like Jesus. So God, in all our longings, if we will bring them to God and not turn our back to, on him, he will make us more like Jesus. And of course, some choose to turn their back on God and become less like Jesus. And that's never good for anybody. So here we have Zechariah's longings, a lifetime of longing, and God sends Gabriel to say, your prayers are answered in a far bigger way than you could ever possibly have imagined. The forerunner is coming, which means the Messiah is coming. Here's just a hint of what we'll read in two weeks' time uh, from Zechariah's song, verse 76 to 79 of chapter 1. You, my child, he says when he holds John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's what Andy was praying earlier. Let's pray for the light of Jesus to shine in the dark places of the world, the dark places of our nation, and the dark places of our hearts. Advent points us to that. Now, when Jesus comes, he doesn't fulfill the kingdom of God like the Jews expected. They expected when Messiah came, he would come and all would be perfect. Instead, we know it's a two-stage fulfillment. Jesus came, but he's going to come again one day. And we live between those times where there's signs of the kingdom, but it's not fully here yet. And so we wait for when Jesus returns in the same sort of way as the Jews of old waited for Messiah first time round. The New Testament is full of promises that Jesus will return, over 300, one per chapter on average. Let's just read how Luke put it in Acts chapter 1. Uh, this is just before Jesus ascended and the disciples are saying what's going on. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his authority. You won't know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. That is the thrust of the New Testament. Jesus is coming back one day. And we are to look forward to that and to live our lives in the light of that. And we are waiting for that day, as surely as Zechariah and Elizabeth were waiting for the Messiah to come first time. Now, most of us think it's been rather a long time, Lord. (laughs) Isn't it time you come back now? Peter tells us that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day, only a couple of days since Easter, as far as the Lord's concerned. We just don't get his time scale. It's a bit like children on a car journey. Are we nearly there yet? No. Are we nearly there yet? No. Remember driving down to Devon with our children. Are we nearly there yet? And eventually, how long will it take? We say, about the time it takes for you to watch Peter Pan twice. (laughs) And eventually say, you just get on and read your book or listen to your story. We'll get there when we get there. We don't know when the Lord's returning. As Tony Campolo said, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcoming committee. Our job is to be ready when he comes and to look forward to that day. And in the meantime, we have a job to do, to be witnesses to Jesus. And we've thought about that the last month, this vision that the PCC embraced this week of over the next 10 years with other churches in the area to give everyone in this area a meaningful opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. So we are following him. Uh, The Lord is encouraging us as a church to look to him first, the giver above the gifts, And as we follow him, he will fill us with his spirit and use us uh, to shine the good news of Jesus around. But we are to pray as Andy prayed, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. So just a couple of verses as I come into land from Revelation 22, the last verses of the Bible. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Uh, Let the one who's thirsty come. If you are thirsty for God, God says, come to him. Take the free gift of the water of life. John, at the end of Revelation, warns everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything, God will add to the person the plagues described. If anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person. Let's keep going. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And Revelation 22 finishes with, amen, Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and we'll pray. If the band would come back. We're going to sing in a minute or two that great Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Full of all the Old Testament imagery that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been so aware of. Really commend you to sort of Google the words of this and use them in your prayer times. That just as they were waiting for Jesus to come that first time, we're waiting the second time. And we need to stay faithful and keep our eyes on him. So here we are, Lord Jesus, waiting for your return. We praise you that you are risen from the dead, ascended, glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father, pouring out your spirit, praying for us. But we long for the day when you will come again at the restoration of all things. When that is the end of the world as we know it. And all will be restored and renewed and made perfect. And there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sadness, no more heartache. We look forward to that great day. 
But we pray that you would find us waiting, longing. Augustine has this imagery that as we wait, God stretches our capacity for him, a bit like a wineskin is stretched. And God wants to fill us with himself. And as it is, we, can't, we couldn't hold all that he wants to give us. And as we wait, with all the longings and difficulties of this life, God stretches our capacity so we can hold more of who he is. So give us grace in all our heartaches, in all our confusions, in all our prayer to look to you. So we pray, come Holy Spirit and minister to us. Let's just keep a moment of quiet and acknowledge before the Lord what's deepest in you. there's anything that needs to be emptied out of our souls that's got in the way of you point that out so that we can deal with it and look to you first thank you that you are so good that you long for us to know your joy and love and peace and so you won't let anything get in the way between us So work in us individually, work in us as a church by your spirit, that we can be full of your spirit and be witnesses to you in this area. So as we sing and as we come to your table, continue to pour your spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Emmanuel.